Well, hello, everybody. How are you guys doing? Oh, yes, excitement in the room. Who's ready to finish chapter three tonight? Yes, it's a good thing. We've made it to the end of chapter three of the book of Ephesians as we go through this series called Grace and Glory. Now, I, uh, I've been a pastor for about 12 years now, and for about half that time, I really was focusing on appealing to people's um, choices. You would often hear me teach or say things like, you need to choose what God has said is good for you. And that's true, right? The things he says are for his glory and for your good. And, and I still believe that. I'm not saying I've changed my mind. I'm just, I, I've come to the realization that that's incomplete to preach to people. Um, it, it's yes, I need to choose the things that God says because, you know, if he says we should do it, then that means we can do it, right? So anytime you read the Bible and you're like, God says to do this, that means you can do that. Um, and so, yes, we need to choose it, but it's not just that. It's also, I need the ability to do it. Those aren't the exact same thing. You need to choose to do the things that God wants you to do, but you also need the ability, the power to do those things. And I just wonder if, if what's missing is not our volition. What's missing may not be that we don't want to do the things that God says. Maybe we do want to do those things. Maybe we just don't have the power to do it. And, uh, you know, there's a ton of stuff that God's about to ask us to do in chapters 4, 5, and 6 of the book of Ephesians. But without what I'm preaching tonight, you and I don't stand a chance at doing what the rest of this book is calling us to do. This is why I'm so thankful that we're going to spend the time here at the end of chapter 3, and I'm going to talk to you tonight about the power and the love of God. The power and the love of God. But first, let me pray. <clears throat> Father, we are, we're a grateful people, um, and we thank you for everything that brought us to this point. You've seen us through it, you've seen us up until this point, and that's why we have confidence that you will continue to see us through. And uh, you've been good to us, you've been faithful to us, and uh, Lord, I just, I think of all of us as we head into what you have for us moving forward, and how there are so many things you've placed upon us. Um, you've given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And so we desire to live that life, but we're going to need the power to come from you. We, we just aren't able to do this. And so we're asking for you to bring that power afresh, that we would have a new sense and understanding of your love for us. And uh, I ask that you would do the work here tonight. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And if you agree, say amen. 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 Okay, so uh, let me take you back to a story from my touring days, back when I, I was in a band, and it was a worship band, and I, we would tour, and uh, didn't tour a ton, but we did tour some, and one time we were in Austin, Texas, anybody from there? Awesome. <laughs> I don't feel like that was a real woo, um, but hopefully, yeah, so maybe you're from, uh, or you know someone from Austin, Texas. I love Austin, it's, you know, lots of food trucks, it's a pretty cool town, and we went to uh, so we play this event, and it, it reached, it's one of those stories that we tell as like top five worst events that we ever did, uh, because for many reasons, but one of them was we showed up at the place, and it's like a room this size, and there's like, you know, five or six hundred chairs set up, and then like a hundred people show up for the event, so we were kind of like, well, that feels a little not great, you know, for a room this size, if there's only a hundred people, and, um, and so then we, we do the, but you know, we always like led the same, no matter how many people were in the room. And, uh, and the concert always ended, the worship night always ended with uh, this song called Jailbreak. 
And uh, it's like, glory, glory. It's like an upbeat, you know, good concert uh, ending song. And, uh, and the whole song ends with the band going, um, it, it ends with the phrase, I'm going free. And, and we all go, and I'm going. And it's like a setup. And then when he sings free, like everyone like, you know, throws their guitars down. Uh, people are jumping off risers. You know what I mean? Like that moment. This is like, this is it. This is the ending of the worship concert. And uh, this particular event, we get to that moment. It's been an hour and a half worshiping. And then we get to that moment and the worship leader is like, and, I, <laughs> and I'm going. And right then, Right then, the, the front of house engineer who was by the console in the middle of the room, he decided to walk to the side of the console just to hear it from that position. And as he does that, he trips on the power cord to the console. And what that means is you don't have a console. You don't have anything. You don't have speakers. Like everything turns off in the moment right like literally right at that moment when we go, I'm going and off. And all you, all you hear is like the physical sound of the cymbals, like shh. <laughs> and then from there it gets worse because then what do you do? Like it's like supposed to be the big exciting moment at the end of the concert and like no one can hear anything. All the mics are off, no speakers or anything. And so we're just like, hey, thanks for coming. We'll see, <laughs> we'll see you next time. And then it's like, is it over? And we're like, yes, it's over. Like we just start yelling at them. It's over. You can go ahead and leave. And uh, <laughs> that's why I'm, I'm telling you, top five worst stories. I'm sure I'll get to all five during the course of the years of preaching here at Young Adult. But um, that's a story of, of all of us wanting to do the right thing. Like there was no ill motive, but, uh, but without the power, it just doesn't work. Okay, it doesn't work. And I remember, uh, I still have the picture in my mind looking back there and, and I saw our front of house engineer and he like, as he's trying to figure out what's going on, like he picks up the cable and he's just like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like he shows us the problem and, and it's just such a sadness. And he actually gained a nickname on that trip and that's still the nickname we use to this day um, from that story. And I, I, but that picture of sadness is so ingrained in my memory because I feel like as an illustration of when you don't have the power you need, like how you feel. <laughs> You're like, man, I'm just exhausted. Like I'm sad. I'm literally, I feel the weight of it because we, don't have, we didn't have the power we needed. And yet I also have a picture of God holding that cable and just being willing. He's like, guys, I'm right here. Like I, I'm willing to plug this in. I'm not reluctant to provide the power, okay? I'm willing, but we have to partner on this, okay? And, and that's what we're diving into here tonight. So let me jump in. Verse 14 of chapter 3 says this. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now let me just remind you, he starts this prayer back in chapter 3 verse 1. If you look back there it says, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles, you guys remember he starts praying and then he like switches into a preacher mode and then he like talks about all the other stuff that we've been uh, working through. Now we're getting back to the prayer. So this is prayer attempt number two for Paul in chapter three. And he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father. And then he uses this phrase from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And uh, so Paul gets on his knees before the father. And he says that every family on heaven and on earth is named. And these aren't families like in the sense that you and I think of family. We're not talking about mom, dad, brother, and sister. 
It's family as in a classification. So family as in a subcategory. So when he says heaven and earth, he's talking about everything that is in creation that has a classification that's been given by God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. I love how Isaiah puts it in Isaiah chapter 40. He says this, lift up your eyes on high and see. He's now looking at the stars. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, there it is, calling them all by name. By the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. When, when the Bible refers to someone naming someone, it's, it's a picture of their power, of their authority. And that, in that sense, God is the one who's named it all. Um, he's the one who stands above. And to that Father who stands above everything as sovereign Lord, Paul gets on his knees and he prays for three things. There are three prayer requests in this passage. The first one is this. He prays that they would receive the power of God, that they would receive the power of God. Verse 16 says this. He gets on his knees and then he says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. We're asking God for power because God is the one who's rich in glory. God's not lacking in power. The point, that's the point Paul's trying to make. So if we're going to ask God for power, he better have power. And we, we know that he is the one who's rich in glory and majesty and power. He's the one who has it all. And God has no shortage of power. And the good news is that that's really good news because that means God has the power that you need. God has the power that you need. God has the power that I need. And so if that's true, then I ask myself, why do we act like God has a shortage of power sometimes? Why do we act like that? And you might, you might be arguing with me, you're like, I don't act like that. And you're like, okay, well, maybe you don't, but I do sometimes, where maybe I wouldn't say that to God. I would never say, God, you don't have enough power. I would, I would never say that, but I, I don't always ask him for the power. And what's behind that reasoning? It's acting as if he doesn't have enough, like I'm trying to parcel out God's power so that we don't run out. No, no, God doesn't have a limit to his power. And so if you're living in that, you have constantly, you're going back to God and asking him for the power to live the life that he's called you to live. And according to that verse, he gives it to you. He gives his power to you. How? Through his spirit, through the Holy Spirit. That's how we receive God's power. And, and, if, and you aren't going to receive the power of God without the Holy Spirit. Those things go together. So you have to have the Holy Spirit in order to receive the power of God. When you believe in Jesus Christ, remember in chapter one we talked about this, you hear the good news of Jesus and then you believe you receive the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, that means you're sealed. That, that's God saying, you belong to me. This is your assurance of what is to come is the Holy Spirit now inside of you as a believer in Jesus Christ. But just because you have all the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit has all of you. It's both and. You have the Holy Spirit, but the process of the Holy Spirit having all of you, that takes time. And, and the Bible talks about both these instances. And that's why I wanted to illustrate it to you guys in what, for me, is, is the clearest picture I could possibly give you of what we're talking about when we say that the Holy Spirit fills us up. And so through his Holy Spirit, we're going to receive the power. And so here is a cup, and here's a pitcher of water. And I colored it blue for you guys because every time I see an illustration with water, I can't really understand what's happening. Um, it's like clear on the side, and you're like, I, I kind of get it. So, 
So you're welcome. It's blue tonight. And uh, the water is, is the Holy Spirit. This is us. And then I have this uh, container to make sure I don't make an absolute mess of the, of the stage. Okay, so when we believe in Jesus Christ, we, we believe that Jesus came from heaven to earth and that he lived the life we couldn't live, live and that he is a representation of God's love to the world, that he sends him and he dies in our place so that we can be forgiven and so that we can be moved from death to life. We believe that. And then what happens is then the Holy Spirit fills us. Okay? So then, now we are this. We are this, and yet Paul is praying that the Christians who have the Holy Spirit, what's he praying? That they would have more. <laughs> so, so it's not that they don't have it. It's that this needs to happen. When you pray that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit as a believer in Jesus Christ, now the Spirit, as he's poured out, now we're talking about overflow. See, sometimes we just think about things of filling as if it's only to receive, to, to have. But there's something bigger that God's up to. He, he wants you to have the Holy Spirit, but as you receive, and then you say, God, fill me up more, what's gonna happen is this. And when that happens, you notice, now the Spirit's flowing from this cup into this container. And this is what's missing in some of your guys' life. You haven't experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. When you experience the power of the filling of the Holy Spirit, you have it, but now it's gonna flow out of your cup into, into someone else's world and into someone else's life. And so when we pray for the filling of the Spirit, we're saying, God, more of this, God. Like, we need more of this. You need more of this. I need more of this. This is what we're asking God when we say, give us your power. And now I've made a mess of myself, but that's okay. It's worth it. <clears throat> and that's why when, um, you know, when people say we're praying for the filling of the Holy Spirit, I just want it to be really clear what we're saying. When we're asking the Holy Spirit to fill us, we're saying, God, would you do that? Would you let it be a, a principle of overflow, not just of something that I hold? And, and every time we see the Holy Spirit move in us and he begins to work, that's the pouring. When I, when I poured, and, and what does that represent? That represents us submitting to the work of the Holy Spirit. So let me get real practical with you. The work of the Holy Spirit is multifaceted, but I just wanted to give you the two ways that the Holy Spirit works so you guys can put this into practice when I say. Um, so how does the Holy Spirit work? By two, two things I wanna share tonight. One, the Holy Spirit works by invitation. The Holy Spirit works by invitation. This is why we pray, and you hear this often, even from the stage, come Holy Spirit. What are we saying? Are we saying that we don't have the Holy Spirit? No, that's not what we're saying. We're inviting him to, into the overflow. Lord, Lord, keep pouring it in so that it overflows into all the areas of our lives. So that's what we're inviting, by invitation. And it's just this awesome thing that God has as the Spirit dwells in us. He wants to partner with you. And I can't explain to you exactly how that happens. I don't know, it's not like a scientific method thing, but I'm telling you, when you invite the Holy Spirit, he will partner with you. And you will start seeing more of that pouring out of the Spirit in your life, and you will have the power you need to do the things. So he works by invitation. And the second thing I wanna to share tonight is that the Holy Spirit works through my actions. Through my actions. Just because you sit and you say, come Holy Spirit, and yes, I want this, I desire this, that doesn't mean you're supposed to just stop there. Because it's a partnership, and it's this beautiful partnership that God invites you into, you need to do something then at that point. And you pray, and you invite the Holy Spirit, and then you put it to action. 
And I'm telling you, it is, it is awesome to see what God does when you put it into action because now you're actually walking in the Spirit. Now you're starting to do the things that the Spirit is calling you to do as you put it into action. I love how um, one of my friends, she uh, preached her testimony at a church, and, and when I heard that sermon, uh, I remember her talking about how she, um, she would pray for something, and then in faith, she used this phrase, that she would seek out the evidence to the answer of the prayer. And I just love that way of thinking. I think that's so practical for us. It's, it's, I pray and I say, come Holy Spirit. And then I pray over the things. And I say, God, give me the power to do this. And then I start looking for the evidence of what God's up to. And, and I look for the evidence of a miracle because you're gonna find, sometimes you're gonna be like, the miracle's not there. And other times you're gonna be, the miracle is there. But you're always looking for the evidence of whatever God's up to. So the Holy Spirit works by invitation. We invite that into our lives. And the Holy Spirit works through my actions through my very own actions, that's where you're gonna see the work of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is working, you will have the power you need. Trust me, you will have the power you need. So he prays that they would receive the power of God. Second thing he prays is that they would receive the love of God. Power and now love, verse 16 says this. That accord, oh no, sorry, that's already done. Uh, Verse 17 says this. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. He desires that they would be rooted and grounded in love. He doesn't want them to only receive the power of God. He's also saying that has to come with the love of God as well. And he brings up this picture that's very easy for for us to understand, rooted as in a tree, right? And what I love about roots is that there's just so much more underground in the roots than you even than we see above ground and we're all alive just like that tree and and everybody here is alive and just like that tree we have roots okay every single person in this room you have roots you have something that you're building your life upon Um, if you're alive you've been rooted in something and what Paul is praying is that those roots would be the very love of God When you're rooted and grounded in God's love, that changes everything that happens above the surface. So when the wind comes and and it hits against that tree and a storm's coming, the roots are the strength to withstand. The roots are what gets you through it, and that's why we're supposed to be rooted and grounded in God's love. So when the wind comes and the wind says, you're a mistake, you are a mistake because of the things that you've done, You're, you're a mistake, but my roots say, no, 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 I was made intentionally. That's how I know. How do I know that? Because God loves me. That's how I know that. And when the wind comes and says, that circumstance, that circumstance, that thing I did, it pushes me beyond the reach of God. Like some things are just unforgivable. Some things are unfixable. And so I'm, I'm beyond God's reach. And then my roots come and say that God is the father in the story of the prodigal son. And he's waiting. And he's willing and he's open-armed and he's saying, come, draw near to me. And then the wind says, I'm worthless. I have nothing to offer this world. But my roots say I'm valuable. They tell me that I'm made in the image of God himself. And that's why when you're rooted in God's love, you're able to reject self-hate. You can reject self-hate. You don't hate yourself because you're rooted and grounded in God's love. See, the enemy's trying to get you to, re- he's trying to do anything he can to make sure you don't receive the love of God. He doesn't want you to receive the, lo- the love of God. And one of his most cunning tactics is to put you, 
you in the way of you receiving the love of God. That's his plan. And, and that makes sense because maybe someone who was supposed to love you, instead they made you feel hated. And they were supposed to love you and now you feel hated and so then you start believing that you shouldn't be loved. And these patterns start forming and they start taking root in your life. So my prayer for each one of you here tonight, my prayer is that you would be rooted in God's love. That you would hear something greater about you than what's been spoken over you in the past. And, and in that sense, you will be able to survive the storm if you're rooted and grounded in God's love. And I love how Paul prays for both those things because there's a relationship between power and love. Think about it. If God has all this power, but then there's no love, that's pretty scary. If I know that God has all this power and then I'm not sure he loves me, I'd be freaking out. That's a scary concept. But then the, the flip side is if there's love, but there's no power, well, then there's only good intentions there. Yeah, you love me, but you can't do anything on my behalf. You can't do anything to express that love because you don't have the power. And that's why power and love, that's where life change happens. When you can hold on to the power and the love of God. So what if you could walk out here tonight with both of those in hand and, and, and that's where you're gonna start experiencing change in your life. So the next time you pray, pray for the power of God and then while you're waiting for God to act in power, you hold on to the love that you're rooted in. This is how we, this is how we wrestle here on earth, guys. We, we pray and we say, God, I need, you, I need you to show up in this situation. I don't have the power to do it. I need you to show up in this situation. And as I'm praying towards that end and I'm waiting for God's answer, I still have his love to hold on to in the midst of that. Because there's gonna be times where it don't make sense why he's not doing it. You guys are gonna wrestle with him. You're gonna say, boy, if he's powerful enough, why doesn't he just do it? And that's why you need to have the love of God also. Love of God, knowing that, man, I don't understand why he's not doing it, but I know he loves me. And that's what puts me at ease. That's why I'm rooted. It's like in the Old Testament, every time they talk about God's love, it's, they can always use the phrase, God's steadfast love. It's the same picture now in the Old Testament. He's saying what's gonna keep you stable, what's gonna keep us stable, is to be rooted in the love of God. But at the same time we're rooted, we're still praying in the power of God, believing that he can act and he can do anything. And so we're gonna ask for both those things. He prays for the power of God, he prays for the love of God, and then the last prayer request is that they would grow in understanding the power and love of God. Verse 18 and 19 continues saying this, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's praying that they would grow in their understanding of the power and the love of God. Not, not just that they would have it, but that they would grow in understanding what it is. So uh, notice he, he prays her that you might have the strength to comprehend. And, and the, the English grammar translation is a little you know, funky on how to understand it. Um, that's why <laughs> you can't even really tell, wait, comprehend what? The power or the love? Well, what he's talking about when he says the strength to comprehend, he's talking about the power. So then he gives us this phrase, the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth 
to understand. So he's giving us the picture, just like you have, like a, picture an object in your hands, a three-dimensional object, and he's saying that you would be able to understand better what is the power of God. And then he throws in these terms, and here's what's so amazing about these terms. Breadth, length, and height are the three dimensions that you and I understand. We already know what these are, okay? Breadth, length, and height. That's three dimensions. So he's saying you can, you can experience it. You can grow. You can study it more. You can understand it more. And then Paul throws in this word depth. And every single scholar like, has ideas of what that could maybe mean. Even the church fathers have said what it maybe means. But after studying this week, you know what it means? It means we don't really know what it means. We don't really know what depth refers to. And I think that is awesome. Because what Paul's doing is he's bringing us to the edge of what we do know. He's like, here's the power of God in three dimensions. Everybody understands that. And then I'm just going to throw in a fourth dimension to confuse everyone. What's he saying? He's saying it's bigger than anything you and I can understand. But you can grow in understanding it. But it's bigger than anything you and I can understand. And he says the same thing about the love of God. He says that we would understand his love, which surpasses knowledge. You see it? You see what he's doing? It's the same thing now with the love of God. That I would understand the thing that no one can understand. It, both those phrases are oxymorons and they're intentional because they're trying to teach us something really, really beautiful. It's not a contradiction for that person who's like, see, that doesn't make sense. Look at the Bible. It's a contradiction. No, it's not. It's an oxymoron, okay? That this is a very common thing we use to speak. And Paul is using it to express this. Two phrases. First thing, you can know it more today than you did yesterday that you would grow in comprehension of it, that you would grow in knowledge of it. That's him saying, you don't have it all understood right now. You can grow and have more of God's power, more of your understanding of God's love. You can have more of that today than you did yesterday, but also this, you will always be able to know it more tomorrow. You're never gonna get to the point where you're like, got it, <laughs> I reached the end, I now understand the power of God, I now understand the love of God fully, no, no, no. He's inviting you into the process of learning it. He's saying, come on, there's more. There's more than the three dimensions. There's some sort of fourth dimension to my power and you can learn more and more every single day. So grow in it today and have more than what you had yesterday, but tomorrow there's even more yet. There's even more of my love tomorrow. There's even more of my power tomorrow. Paul prays that they would receive the power of God, they receive the love of God, and then that they would grow in their understanding of it. I, I love that because for some of us, we have it. We have the power of God, we have the love of God, but we, we don't realize what we have. And we don't act like we have it. <laughs> We're not growing in our understanding of it. You should continually be discovering more and more of the power and the love of God. You have it, and now you gotta run with it. And that's why he's saying at the end of verse 19, he says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and then he uses this phrase, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's Paul's way of summarizing what he just prayed. Okay, so the summary is at the end, not at the beginning. He's saying, what I just prayed, that they receive power, love, growing understanding, that's summarized. That I'm praying that they would receive 
the fullness of God. And when Paul uses the phrase fullness of God, that's directly referencing what they would have understood in this culture back in the Old Testament when they would pray that the, the presence of God would fill the tabernacle, that the presence of God would fill the temple. And now, how does the presence of God dwell? It dwells in us. And he's saying that you would have the fullness of God inside of you. He's praying that people would be filled with the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a different way of saying the same thing. In chapter five, he's actually gonna use the exact phrase, to be filled with the Spirit. And he's saying, if you wanna experience all these things, you need to be filled with the Spirit, that, that the Spirit would overflow in your life. Because the second half of this book, what Paul's about to call us into, let me just read to you a couple things, or a few things that God is gonna call us to do. He's gonna call us to maintain unity in the church, to speak the truth in love, to put off our old self, to put away falsehood, to be angry, but don't sin, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. No bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander to be named among us. Forgive one another. Abstain from sexual immorality. Walk with wisdom in life. Give thanks always and for everything. Submit to one another. Love our wives, respect our husbands, obey our parents, obey our earthly masters. Put the whole armor of God on and so much more. That's a lot of stuff. And I don't even wanna start chapter four until we acknowledge it. We can't do those things without the power of God. We can't do those things unless we're filled with the Spirit, unless the Spirit is overflowing. Maybe, maybe what's missing is, like, is not that you don't, want to the, you don't wanna do those things. Maybe you're like, all that list sounds awesome. I wanna do that, but you're missing the power. So we have to have the power in order to live that out. And if Paul's praying before he dives into those chapters, I think, we should do the same thing here tonight. So to close the night, I, uh, I wanna invite, I ask uh, a team of people to be prayer leaders here for us tonight, and they're gonna come now to the front of the room. They're gonna stand here in the sections that are kinda open um, on both sides of the room. And here's what we're gonna do. Here in a second, I'm gonna invite each one of you to just go stand in front of any of these leaders, and um, we'll, we'll make a line in front of each of them. And, uh, and that's all we're gonna do is we just wanna pray over you by name for these things. So they're gonna, you're gonna come up to them, they're gonna say, what's your name? You tell them your first name, and then they're just gonna put their hand on your shoulder, they're gonna pray for these things. They're gonna pray that God would give you his power. They're gonna pray that God would give you his love. And they're gonna pray that you would grow in your understanding of God's power and love. And that, and that the, you would be filled with the overflowing power of the Holy Spirit, and that's it. And then, we're gonna, and then you, you'll go back to your seat. Okay, so um, the reason we're taking the time here tonight and why I wanted to preach a little short so that we could have this is because maybe some of you have never had anyone pray that for you. And maybe you're, you're, you're living that exhausted life and you're like, man, I, I feel like I don't have the power. Well, there's many things to come, but let, let's start that here tonight. Let's just ask. If the Holy Spirit works by invitation, let's invite him into your life. We're not gonna ask you anything else of your circumstances. We're not gonna do any of that here tonight. All we're gonna ask is your name, and then we will pray for those three things. So here at the count of three, I'm gonna ask all you guys, you're gonna get up and then just line up in front of any of these leaders and then we'll pray for you by name. And then after they pray for you, come back and then we'll uh, close the service here together. All right, here we go. One, two, three, go for it.
There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're all living in hope. Your presence, Lord. Mm -hmm. I've tasted.
like a prayer, sing it like a whisper.
God's answer to what we just prayed is yes. Okay? He already told us what he wants to do. He says, I want to do this. So he's saying, my answer is yes. And the Holy Spirit's going to be working yes in our actions as we move into the rest of the book, but also by invitation. So my encouragement to you guys is remember tonight when we get to the things we're going to put in action. And as before we ever take a step, can we just invite the Holy Spirit to fill us again? And before we take a step and say, man, I got to change this about my life. Before you do that, invite the Holy Spirit afresh in your life. That he would fill you up, that he would overflow in your life. Because if we walk with that power, you're going to see life change. But we need the power. We need the love of God. All right. We're almost done. Two more verses. You guys can just stay standing real quick. You're actually going to help me preach these last two verses. Here's how this passage ends. Now to him, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. All right, so here's what we're going to do. You guys are going to preach it to me because that verse just said that he's able to do far more, far more abundantly than anything you and I could ask or anything we could think, or you might have heard the translation, ask or imagine. Anything you could ever come up with, God can do more. All right, so you're going to preach that sentence back to me. Here's how we're going to do it. I'll, I'll ask you this question, can God do that? And then I'll point, and you guys are going to say, God can do more. Can you preach that back to me? Okay, and I'll kind of I'll kind of give you the rhythm so that we can say it all together. All right, I'll, I'll just be I'll be the I'll be the conductor here a little bit. All right, let's practice a little bit. So, can God do that? Okay, thanks for saying it very politely. Now I need to I need you to find your preacher voice. Okay, you guys got to help me out here. You're going to preach this to me, and if you believe it, I need you to lift up your voice. I'm only going to ask you a few times. Let's practice one more time. Can God do that? All right, now we got it. Now we got it. So now let me ask you this. Okay, so we're saying God can do more, but can can God actually move in my life? What if what if I have some things that I don't even think can change? What if, what if I'm, I literally feel like it's stuck? Like there's no chance this is going to change. And, and I'm wondering, can God do that? God can do more. That's right. God can do more. But what if we added up all our needs in this room? Okay. What, what if, if there's like a hundred people in this room and we're saying, if we added all the things we're asking God and we wrote them up on the wall and you could see them listed all across this room, the hundreds, thousands of things that we're going to ask of God. And we looked upon those walls and I wonder, can God do that? God can do more. That's right. God can do more than that. And, but, but then I say, Hey, I got some pretty big dreams. Okay. I got some big dreams. God put a calling upon my life, and so I'm going to walk in that calling, and and I've been dreaming up some things, and I'm saying God put me in a career. God put me in a school. God put me in in a point in time because he said, I want to do something through you, and so I've been dreaming up these pretty big dreams, and I'm wondering, can God do that? (laughs) More than that. God can do more than that. And it's crazy to think that Jesus came from heaven to earth and he dies on the cross, but he doesn't stay dead. Jesus Christ dies on the cross. And then on the third day, (laughs) on the third day, he's resurrected. Can God do that? 
God can do more than resurrect Jesus because he's still resurrecting people today. He's still moving people from death to life. God can do more. And this passage ends with us being beckoned into this. To him be the glory in the church. You know where God's name is supposed to be praised? Right here. You know where God's name is going to be lifted up? It's right here in the church. The eyes of God are looking across the earth and he says, where will I be glorified? See, man's quick to say, give me the glory. We, we, we vote for people and there's like, give me the glory. I'm the savior. And we, we form nations around people we think should get the glory. And to him be the glory in the church. This is the place where Jesus Christ is not. We know that Jesus Christ is king. He is king and one day the whole world's gonna see it. But what we're saying when we say to him be the glory in the church, now we're saying, God, you're king here. You're king in my life right now. I'm not waiting until your kingdom is fully here. You are king right now. So if you believe that he is the one who's gonna be glorified in this place, come on, lift up a shout of praise. We give glory to him. To him be the glory in the church. Yes, Lord, come on. Give him praise. Give him the praise he's due.